Facing an unknown future is hard. It is difficult to face an unknown future, and we don't know the future. We are not God. God knows the future. He knows beginning to the end, but we don't. The future is a mystery. We can make our guesses, but we don't really know. And sometimes there are things where we realize it could go one way or it could go another way, and one way would be fantastic if it went that way, and other ways it would be terrifying if that's how things turned out, and we don't No, the future is uncertain. So I want us to think about how do we deal with an unknown future? Another question to think about is what is it that you live for? What is your ultimate treasure? And as we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 1, we see that the the second question helps with the first. How do we face an unknown future? How you face an unknown future depends on what your ultimate treasure really is. And we see that for Paul in his life, in his situation. As we've seen in, in Philippians, the setting here, Paul is in prison. He is in Rome. He is awaiting trial. He was a Roman citizen. And so when he was uh, arrested uh, in Judea and spent time in prison there, he was able to appeal to Caesar. He was shipped to Rome. He's been probably there waiting a verdict for probably around two years at this point. And from a human perspective, it could go either way. It could end in his release or it could end up with uh, his execution. And as we look at this, we're going to see that for Paul, his perspective and everything was changed for him because of what his ultimate treasure was and what he lives for. So let's read together Philippians Chapter 1, we're going to start verse 19. Actually, we'll back up just a little bit into verse 18. The verse divisions were added quite a bit later after the New Testament was written. They're probably only less than 500 years old. Uh, So we'll start with, uh, yes, and I will rejoice at the end of verse 18. Your Bible may break it into a paragraph like that. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We're going to walk through this today and look at this and see how this impacts how we face an unknown future based on what we treasure the most. So I want to look at just uh, the beginning here, verses 19 and 20. And the first point we'll draw from this, summarizes, Paul rejoiced because he knew that one way or another he would be delivered. 
He was able to rejoice. He was able to go on rejoicing despite his circumstances. His circumstances did not determine whether he was able to rejoice or not. There was something deeper in him that gave him joy, the ability to rejoice, to look past these circumstances, to interpret everything in his life in a different way. And so he says he continues to rejoice. And then he gives a reason for this in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So yeah, from a human perspective, his future is unknown. He did not know if he would be released. Uh, he, He did not know if he would be executed. But from a spiritual perspective... He says that he fully expected to be delivered. Now, the question, though, is what kind of deliverance is he talking about here? Because at first glance, it might seem like, okay, he's, he's fully expecting he is going to be released from prison. And later on, he seems to talk like that as well. That's what he means here. But it's a little bit more ambiguous than we might think. The word that he uses here for deliverance is a Greek word, which is soteria. And if you study theology, uh, there's uh, different subjects of theology are put in different categories, and one of them is called soteriology. It's the doctrine of salvation. And soteria is the, the Greek word that we get our word saved from, which means you know, delivered, rescued, saved. And it can also be used of a physical deliverance or physical rescue from danger. And sometimes in the New Testament, it is used that way. But it's interesting to realize that for Paul, at least, uh, not counting this time, but every other time when he uses the word, uh, he means some sort of spiritual salvation. That you're, you're saved from hell, you're saved from condemnation, you're saved from the, the judgment as, that you would receive standing before God one day when you meet your maker. And without Christ having to go before the, the great white throne, and be cast into, into hell. He's talking about, uh, if in all those other cases, that type of spiritual salvation. Now, it could be the case that he's using the word differently here. That, that's a possibility. But I think you can make a strong case that it's at least very possible that what he's referring to here is uh, spiritual deliverance, spiritual salvation. And if that's the case, and maybe he's being a little bit uh, ambiguous on purpose, but if that's the case, maybe he's saying that no matter how this turns out for me, the one thing I know for sure is that ultimately God is going to deliver me. That ultimately he is going to, he's going to rescue me. Uh, even if physically this turns out very bad. And I wonder if maybe he had in mind uh, something that Jesus says, uh, in the book of Luke, and Luke was a traveling companion with, with Paul quite a bit, and Luke records in uh, chapter 21, starting with verse 12, Jesus is talking about the last days and persecution. And he says, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake, which that fits Paul's situation pretty well says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And he says this, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, 
but not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your lives. If you're listening carefully, it seems like there's quite a contradiction there, because at one point he says, some of you will die, some of you will be put to death. On the other hand, he also says, but not a hair on your head will perish. So the way we put that together is he's saying, yeah, it might not be the case that you are all physically rescued from this. That some of you are going to be martyred. Some of you are going to be, be killed. But there is a sense of this that ultimately not a single part of you is going to ultimately perish. You say, well, his, his hair would have perished. Literally, well, yeah, it did. Uh, but then he gets, he'll get raised from the dead one day too. So if you want to get real literal about that, you know, his body's going to be put back together too. But ultimately, even in the meantime, you know, he is, he is saved. He is, he is rescued. He'll be with the, the Lord. Um, and that's same true for the other Christian martyrs as well. So what kind of deliverance? I think Paul is saying that either way this turns out, and even if it results in his, his death, his execution, uh, he could rejoice because even if he was executed, he knew that he would ultimately be delivered. From this verse, we see also, notice it says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knew that it was God working through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in response, at least in part, to the prayers of the other believers that were going to strengthen Paul, that were going to help him to be faithful to the end, that were going to help him to, to be a faithful witness to honor Christ in all of this, that would keep him from, from backing down, from, from cowering, from, from caving in in the face of what could possibly be you know, being put to death. That he wouldn't turn back. And we need to remember that our prayers are important. There are Christians in the world that are being persecuted, that are going through very difficult times. Uh, there's tough situations here in America, but there are tough situations, really tough situations throughout the world. Are we praying for one another to stay strong? Whether it's uh, for other people in this room as they go into a tough work environment or at school uh, or other people that are trying to tear down their faith. Are we praying for believers in hostile countries that they would be faithful and they would remain strong to the end? And so the Holy Spirit, yep, he can work despite us, and it, 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 apart from us, but he loves to respond to our prayers and to work in response to that, to use this as a part of the means to an end to help other believers to persevere. Verse 20, Paul writes, And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The Holy Spirit's working in response to these prayers. If this is spiritual salvation, it means that uh, the Holy Spirit responds so that based on the promises of God, he will persevere in his faith to the end. And when it talks about here that he will, he will not be ashamed, again, this is talking about not necessarily that he'll be released from prison, but that either way, however it turns out, that God will be honored in him whatever happens to him. A few applications that we can take from this even before we move along. One, we can see from this that the physical 
life, the extension of physical life, was not the ultimate goal for Paul. For so many of us, that's just the ultimate thing that we look for. How many years can we squeak out in this life? You know, what kind of diet, what kind of exercise, what kind of program can we do, what kind of medication, so that we can have as, as long and as good of life as we can? And for many people, this life is all there is, and so that's what they're living for. But Paul had a higher treasure. He had a higher perspective on life. And so extension of physical life, that is a good thing. You should care about your life and do what you can, but it's not the highest goal. It's not the highest end. There will come a day where we do die. And will you, like Paul, seek to glorify God in your physical death when that day comes to finish well in this life? So we have that at the beginning. I want to look at the rest of the verses, 21 through 26. And in these, we're going to see that Paul is, again, from a human perspective, it could go either way. And we're going to see that Paul is torn in what he really wants. He's torn between, two, between the greater of two goods. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because of the way that Paul was viewing life, his perspective on everything, either result for him was positive. It wasn't for him a matter of what is the least of two evils. It was a matter of what is the greater of two goods. That both of these things, because of his faith in Christ, because of his way of interpreting life and death and eternity, he saw the upside in both of these, huge upsides in both of these different things. And it was a matter of which glass is more full here. One, to live. If he is released from prison, if he is able to continue in this life, he says to live is, is Christ. If Paul continues to live, if he's released, his life will still be about serving Jesus Christ, his Lord, his Savior, his treasure. And doing this all for his glory, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything for Paul was about Christ. His salvation was in Christ. His identity was in Christ. And Christ would continue to be the focus of his life. That's why he says for him to live is Christ. That's what he is living for. That is his treasure, his ultimate. But if the other happens... He loves Christ. We think, well, that's the greatest thing. That's what he's shooting for. But if the other happens, if he is killed, he says, well, is that a little bit worse? Not quite. Is that a, a consolation prize? No, he says to die is gain. Gain is the opposite of loss. Okay? So he's saying that this is even better. It's even more of what I want, even more of the, the treasure that I have and that I'm seeking for and what brings me joy and satisfaction. If Paul's imprisonment ends with him getting his head chopped off, his death, he said this would not be a tragedy for him. He would gain. Instead, then, instead of serving Christ with his life, which he would do, instead of serving Christ as his treasure, Christ would go to be with, Paul would go to be with Christ, his treasure. It's even better for him. Killing Paul would just give him what he values most. Uniting him, sending him to be with Jesus Christ. I read that many years ago there was a uh, preacher down in the south in Texas. And this is, I think, during Prohibition time. And this preacher uh, was 
uh, evangelist, he would go around and he was preaching hard against different sins and different things and calling out different sins. And as he's going around having these crowds, one of the, he was preaching against uh, the bootleggers that were creating, a, you know, illegal alcohol and, and bringing it in. And, uh, you know, today this would be like preaching against the drug dealers. And so there's a lot of money and a lot of power involved. And some of the bootleggers didn't like this, that this guy was, you know, so, you know, adamant preaching against them. And they sent him a message. And they sent him a message saying, you need to stop preaching about this. You need to let up or we are going to kill you. That's something we do. You are in danger. Stop or we're going to kill you. And he replied to them and said, you can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> and that's Paul's attitude here. He's like, you can't threaten me with heaven. It's like, we're going to, uh, if, you, if you don't renounce Christ, we're going to kill you. He's like, yeah, great. You're sending me to be with my Lord. The worst that you can do to me is to give me my heart's desire. It's hard for you to threaten me with that. Sure, the beheading part for a few seconds is not going to be that pleasant. But man, the other side, Jesus, he's my heart's desire. He's my love. He's my, my treasure. So no, Paul wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to stop serving Christ. He wasn't going to stop uh, being a witness for him. Christ was his life. And the worst they could do is to send him to the one that is his life and is his treasure and is his, his ultimate love. Verse 22, he, he unpacks this. He starts going through the, the pros and cons because he is, he is torn between these two things. And he says, if I, if I am to live in the flesh, to go on living in this life, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Doing this pros and cons list, if I'm to live in this flesh, because there's other ways to live not in the flesh, but if I'm to live continuing in this flesh, notice, read this carefully, it says, if I shall live in this flesh, this means a relaxing retirement for me. Oh, he doesn't say that, does he? He's saying, if I'm going to live in this flesh, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be serving Christ. I'm going to be laboring for him, trying to bear spiritual fruit. He doesn't get to the point where he just says, well, you know, I want to keep living. I want to have a long life because, you know, I put in my time and it's time for me to have a long, relaxing retirement now. He doesn't have that view. And I wonder, what is our view of things? Are we going to keep, there may come a time where you stop, you, you don't need to work your, your job anymore, but do we keep serving Christ with our life and with our time that we have? And Paul doesn't say here, I put in my time. I've done, I've done it now. It's time for other people to do this. I, I, I'm good. You think of all the ministries, all the things that need to be done, all the people that need to be helped. You know, Paul had an attitude that while his life, while he drew breath, he was going to keep serving the Lord. And you can serve the Lord uh, as you help people in and out of the church. There's a lot of things that need to happen. And I hope people don't have this attitude of, I, I've done my time, I don't need to do anything else. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes that happens. And I'll just say this. You know, there are a lot of people um, that are serving in the nursery on a pretty heavy rotation and that don't get to make it into service. And if a few less people said, I put in my time, I'm done, and we're willing to hold babies maybe every month or two, that would free up some of these people to be able to sit and, and to learn. 
something to consider. But there's all kinds of other applications for that too. But we never want to have this attitude where just, I, I, I'm done. We, you don't retire from the Christian life. You don't take early retirement. It may change. You may have different forms. But I hope that all of us, our attitude is while we're drawing breath, we're seeking to glorify God. And we're seeking to make an impact with the calling that he has for us in the lives of other people. It's not just about how can I keep growing. That is important. But how can you be used in the lives of other people with the gifts and ability, the time, the talent, and treasure that God has given you? In verse 23, he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So on one hand, if I am on this earth, I can keep serving. There's fruitful labor. That's a good thing. But man, I'd, I'd rather be with Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He says straight out, that is far better. Paul does not have a death wish, okay? He is not being suicidal here, but he is genuinely torn. This is because Christ is his ultimate treasure, and he would be very much okay going to be with his ultimate treasure forever, the one that is his ultimate love, and experiencing him firsthand. In, uh, it's beautiful the way that we get to experience Christ, we experience Christ in our heart and in the word. We experience him when we come together. But there will be a day when it's face to face. When we see him in all his, in the, the beauty of his vision and who he is. And either when he returns for us or when we go to him. And the transformation that will happen will be purged of our sin, all of this. And so we'll be purified so that we can enjoy him without sin getting in the way. What a beautiful thing to look forward to. Scripture tells us, Paul writes this in another letter in 2 Corinthians, that he explains to be, for those in Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what he believes, that's what he is, uh, that's what he is banking on, that is what he is hoping for. 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 6, communicates this to us. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. He's saying the same thing in different words. Either way, it's about pleasing God. But man, there's a day when for a believer, now this isn't saying this is for everyone. If for those that are not in Christ, it is not to be away from the body and with the Lord. The terrible thing, I, the scary thing I need to tell you is that if you are apart from Christ, if you have rejected or you're standing apart from, from his offer to come to him for salvation, then to be apart from the Lord is you are awaiting your final condemnation. You are separated from him and there will come a day where you will stand before him at the great white throne to, for, for judgment. And Revelation talks about being cast into the lake of fire. And so I wish I could tell you uh, this as a, 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 a something that applies to a universal application for everyone, that for everyone, if you're away from the body, you're with the Lord. I can't tell you that uh, as a, a universal truth for everyone, but it's a universal invitation for everyone. Because while you are alive, while you draw breath, it is not too late. You can turn to Jesus Christ. 
You can turn away from your, your rebellion against him and embrace Jesus Christ the Lord as your Savior, recognizing that he's already done everything needed to take you to heaven. He died on the cross. He rose again for you. He lived a perfect life in your place, and he offers it to the, the worst hard-hearted sinner there is. If you return and accept his free gift, you'll have the salvation the same as, as me, the same as Christians here, the same as the Apostle Paul, who was once a persecutor of Christians. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, based on Jesus Christ and his work alone, his finished work. And so I, I, I implore you, and I ask that God would work in your heart to draw you to him so that you can have that firm, certain knowledge that for you, when the day comes to be away from the body, is to be at home with the Lord and that you are with the one that God changes your heart so that he is your treasure as well. The passage goes on. Verse 24. He says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's weighing these two different options. A fruitful ministry. Okay, yeah, that's important. I'd really love to go to be with the Lord, though that's even greater. I'd, I'd love that. But then he comes to his conclusion here. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. One is better, he realizes, but the other is more necessary, at least for the moment. That he realizes that uh, there is work to be done. And notice here that Paul, as he's doing this, his focus is not ultimately on himself and what he wants the most and what he desires. His focus is on Christ. And what he believes is better for Christ's glory and his, and his focus is on others working in their lives. And so he's willing to continue on in the, the drudgery and the, the hardships and the persecution of this life longer if it means bringing more glory to Christ, bringing more people to treasure Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviors for the good of Christ and the good of others. You know, what is our attitude? How do we weigh things? Is it about us? What do, what do I want the most? People tell you, what do you want the most? Or do we consider what, what is best for the mission that Christ has given us, for the glory of Jesus Christ and the good of others? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This is says remain in the flesh. Again, death is, is not the end. It's not that when this flesh stops moving and when this meat goes cold that that's all there is. That death is not the end. It is, death is separation and one day we will be separated from our physical body but he sees a life after this. None of this would make sense if Paul didn't believe in an afterlife. He definitely does. It's a biblical worldview and we should believe in that too. And verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Here, Paul lets us know that he thinks that he will continue on in this life. Again, from a human perspective, it could go either way. He knows that either way it goes, he will be ultimately delivered. But here I think he's saying that, you know, based on all this, I don't, I don't think it's that he has a special word of knowledge from God about this, but he has a conviction 
that because of the need and what he sees God doing, that he will continue in this life and be released because his mission isn't over yet, that there's more for him to do. And Christian, you realize the same is true for you. While God still has work for you to do on this earth, while he's not done with you, he's going to keep you here. And if he's keeping you here, it means he's got more work for you to do. And that you're not going to die until he's done with you, with the job that you have here. He's going to keep you in the game until he's ready to take you and, and God willing say, well done, you've served me well, you can rest now with me. But while we're in this life, we want to serve him and keep working for him. Paul, we can see his concern here is for their, for their progress, it says. It means their growth and their, their joy. So, again, a joy, this huge theme in the book of Philippians. It's not just about him having joy, but he wants to spread that joy for other people so that other people can have not a superficial joy, but a deep joy that comes from knowing the one is the ultimate source of joy for all of us. Knowing Jesus Christ. Ultimate joy is found only in faith in Jesus Christ. And all of this is for the glory of Jesus Christ. So either way, he's good with it. Either way, he knows he's going to be delivered, but either way, it's going to lead to the glory of God. By the way, we're going to read this letter. We're going to get to the end of it. We might wonder, well, what actually happens? What happens to Paul? Does, is he executed? Does he live? Is he, uh, which happens? And actually, the answer is both. Uh, because he is released after this. We know this because he goes on to write a few more uh, epistles. And there's a few more. Um, in the New Testament, tells us about his, his travels. And he writes um, at least like the letters to Timothy and to Titus. So he has a few more years of ministry, but eventually he is arrested again. And this time, it is not uh, him being under house arrest, waiting trial. This time he is he's put into the, uh, the dungeon, into the Mamertine prison, and he spends time there. It's when he writes Second Timothy at that point, and that ends with his head being cut off. Uh, which he was a Roman citizen, that's why he could appeal to Caesar, and that's why he had his head chopped off, because that was the merciful way to die, by the way. If you weren't a Roman citizen, crucifixion, that's the way you didn't want, because that took a long time and was painful. At least getting your head chopped off, that was quick and fairly painless, <laughs> relatively speaking. Um, <clears throat> that's hard to know. Never had anybody, you know, had their head chopped off to come back and, how was it actually? Well, you know... Um, but he, he would experience both. You know, he would be released. He would have a time of it, but there would be a time that is coming where there would be that end. And the same way for all of us, unless Christ returns, um, we're all going to be facing a time of life ahead of us, and we're going to be facing death. And so how are we going to be filling those moments? As you live, is it going to be to live for Christ? And when it comes time for you to die, is that going to be gain for you? And it brings me to my last point, which is really the personal application of all of this. Paul wrote, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I want to focus on those words, it says to me. And when he wrote this in the Greek, that's up front that has like emphasis. But what about you? How do you answer this? Is that a statement, is it a nice slogan? 
It'd be great for a coffee mug that's true for Paul, but is it really true for each of us? Is it true for you? I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself if it's true for you. What is life for you? I remember a number of years ago, I saw a young person, a teen, he had a shirt that said, life is four-wheeling. Okay, I can tell you, you love four-wheeling. That's great, four-wheeling's fun, but I was thinking, I hope you don't really mean that, like, literally. That your life is really four-wheeling? I mean, that, great. I, again, no, that can be fun, definitely. But man, if that was that your ultimate, is that really your life is about that? And what, what happens when you can't four-wheel anymore? What happens when you're not four-wheeling? You're just, and even if you could four-wheel forever, is that really the ultimate? You think of other people, and sometimes you see people with shirts and, you know, uh, life is basketball or football or soccer. And I think a lot of people, maybe that, if they had a shirt like that, that would reflect what's in their heart. There's other people, they not, might not be wearing the t-shirt, but if they were, it would say something like, my job is my life. My career, my success is my life. The car I drive is my life. The house, the neighborhood that I live in is my life. My reputation is my life. My social media image is my life. It also could be something that seems a lot more noble. A lot might say, lot might say my family is my life. And that's better. But think of all these things. They might be, even if they're good things, if you elevate that to the ultimate, if you put that at the top of the totem pole of your heart as some kind of idol, you're taking away from the one that should be the the true one that should be the center of your life. And also, practically speaking, what happens if those things are taken away from you? If you you can't four-wheel anymore, you can't, uh, you lose your job, you lose your reputation. You're devastated. Even a really, really good thing like family. What happens if your family is your life, is your ultimate, and then you lose your family? Devastation. Absolute, absolute devastation. Paul, though, he said to live is Christ. Think about what is life for you. What would other people think is life for you? I'll answer that. Because you might say, well, it's, it's Christ. But what would the people that look at your life and see you every day, what would they think is your life? Sometimes you read obituaries, and it can be sad. Not just that someone has died, but when you, write what, you read what is written about some people, and the best, it's like, oh, it was an avid fan of this sports team or, you know, they had this hobby. It's like, that's the main thing? That's what this guy's or gal's life was all about? What is life for you? Paul wrote for him to live as Christ, and here's the thing. If to live is Christ, then to die is gain. That only works if what you live for is Jesus Christ. Because then... When you die, your ultimate treasure is not being taken away from you. Like it would be if you were living for your, your truck or your job or your hobby or that special person in your life. You're, that, you're, that thing is not taken from you. Instead, you are going to be with your ultimate treasure forever. You have a treasure that can't and won't be taken away from you. But instead, you receive more of the ultimate treasure. And if you live this way, then you won't fear death. 
If you live this way, that, that for you to live as Christ, then you will live with a purpose in your life. You will make the most of every moment in your life. You will interpret things. You will live differently. In the, the mid-1800s, um, there was a young man who became a missionary. It was John Patton. And John Patton felt this calling to uh, go be a missionary in the New Hebrides, in this island. And in that time, there were a lot of people that weren't really crazy about missionaries. They thought, kind of, you're fanatical to do this, to go risk your life. You know, stay here. You've got a great ministry here. And one man told him, if you go there, you are going to be eaten by cannibals. There's an island, and there was a real risk, an island with cannibals. And this is Patton's response to that man. This is beautiful. He wrote, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. And I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. We live for Christ to die as gain, and it changes how we live now. On the flip side, if to live for you is anything else, then to die is loss. If something else is your ultimate treasure, that means for you to die is for you to be separated from your ultimate treasure. On one hand, yep, if the Lord Jesus is your Savior and treasure, to die is gain. If anything else is your treasure, to die is lost. Because, one, you will lose your treasure, whether it's your money or women or sports or possessions or people or pride or whatever it is. And also, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be lost as well. Either dying will separate you from your ultimate treasure or dying will bring you to be with your ultimate treasure forever. Let me say that again. Either dying will separate you from your ultimate treasure, or dying will bring you to be with your ultimate treasure forever. As one poet wrote, It is not death to die to leave this weary road, Amidst the brotherhood on high to be at home with God. It is not death to close the eye long dim by tears and wake in glorious repose to spend eternal years. It is not death to bear the wrench that sets us free from dungeon chain to breathe the air of boundless liberty. It is not death to fling aside the sinful dust and rise on strong exulting wings to live among the just. Jesus, thou prince of life, thou chosen cannot die. Like thee, they conquer in the strife to reign with thee on high. No matter how this ends for Paul, he wins because Jesus is his treasure. How about you? Let's pray. Lord God, You are the most beautiful, the most lovely, the most holy, 
the most gracious, the most powerful, the most wonderful one in all existence. You are the one that is the greatest possible treasure. You are the one that is the ultimate and lasting source of all true and eternal joy. Lord, forgive us for turning away from you in our rebellion, for seeking our joy in lesser goods. And thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from the penalty of those sins, to save us so that being united with Jesus Christ, being found in him, that we can also say with Paul that for us, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There are many things in this life that our hearts seek after. Some are sinful and we should let them go. Some are good. And Lord, we can praise you for them, but let us never put them in your position. May you be the center. May you be the ultimate, Lord God. And so that even if every one of those other things is taken away, we still have you. And as long as we have Jesus Christ, we rejoice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promises, your grace. May Jesus Christ be exalted. Help us to live for you to the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.